0: We have been uh, going through Luke's gospel, the Advent season here, and looking at uh, the story of Christmas and the wonder of what has been accomplished. And that song captures for us uh, the great joy of that night that we received the greatest gift, the gift from heaven that became uh, our pathway to relationship with God as brothers and sisters in Christ together and uh, inheritors of heaven and uh, eternal home with God. We are going to be looking today in Luke uh, chapter one, and uh, I would like you to turn there to, we're gonna look at verses 46 through 55, which is uh, the Magnificent, and uh, we are going to look at that together. So I'd invite you to, to, once you find your place there, to stand for the reading of God's word, as we honor god's word together this morning the song that mary sang, the delight and the joy of what was accomplished in her my soul glorifies the lord and my spirit rejoices in god my savior for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant and from now on all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one He has helped the servant, his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Heavenly Father, we invite you in these next few moments to open our understanding to love and that we might embrace love in this season. Lord, that we have come through uh, and, and are still in the midst of uh, dark times and seasons in our world. But yet we uh, don't want to lose sight of what Christmas is all about, the joy, the love, the hope, the peace. And we're asking God today that you would open our understanding better to that through your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you as you're seated. The reason that Mary's poetic response is referred to as the magnificent is that because in Latin, Magnificat means magnify, glorify, and it is the opening words or the opening response of Mary. Commentators have pointed out that the Magnificat is um, a, you know, in, in, its, in its full quotations, is in a, also uh, shows us or points back to the Old Testament passages like in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1-10. through 10. We revisited uh, that earlier this year, the story of Hannah. And giving her uh, child to the Lord first asking God for a child receiving that from the Lord and then giving her child to the Lord and there are uh, almost exact quotations or allusions to uh, what takes place there it's kind of a foreshadowing of what has is, is to happen in the New Testament with Mary now the Magnificat also foreshadows many of the themes that are addressed in this uh book of of luke and the ministry of jesus that is about to unfold and so above all though i think uh, as we look at this the magnificat is an overwhelming response of love to god who alone defines love which we struggle really to define right and i think especially in american culture we um you know we love our spouses, right? We love our, our, our wife. We love our husband. We love our children. We love our grandchildren. And then we also say we love chocolate, right? <laughs> we love cats, and we love green grass and mountains, and we love oceans. But none of those really are the same, right? And so we struggle uh, really to define love, and Mary does a great job of showing us in this passage how earth-shaking and and a a worldview-changing embracing the love of God really is. So here's a question to set us up for this. Suppose that you're going on a walk on a a country lane and and there's nobody else around you, and and in the hedge you you happen to notice a live baby. That baby might be giggling or crying. And uh, what would you do? You're walking along, there's nobody around, it's just you and that crying baby. I, I guess you probably would do something, right? Uh, you wouldn't just walk away and leave that baby there. But in Mary's day, in the Roman Empire, leaving an unwanted babies on the roadside was very common. And one local researcher has calculated that about a third of the live babies were being dumped this way in that time. This time in Roman history, the most popular entertainment was watching gladiators fight each other to the death. Among pagans, life had little value. Christians, though, in that day stood apart because of the love that they had in in connection with love, with the God of love. And so they had a worldview kind of changing type of love. Christians stood apart in that day because we believe, still to this day, we believe everybody in the world has been created by the one God. Everyone. We believe that God created us to bless us and to love us. And that we are to love Him back. We believe that God has provided enough food for everyone to eat so that nobody needs to starve. And whenever somebody goes hungry, that is contrary to God's intentions. He's provided for all. For a Christian, race didn't matter. Because, you know, Christians believe that God loves everybody equally. And while we understand that God has revealed Himself in us in in various uh, different ways as we are, you know, racially different, culturally different, that we are all one in Christ and He loves us. And this was something that Christians brought to the table that was a different kind of worldview. Out of this theology, Christians derived three principles that still are abiding today. Number one is the sanctity of life. Life is sacred. Number two, human rights. It is right of everyone to have enough food, uh, to belong to a loving community, Because that is how God made us. He said in the the Old Testament, I think it's in Proverbs, where he says, I took the solitary and I I set them in family. He's been all about us being community-oriented. He he understands that we are individual, and we have individual identities, and and, and we are unique in that, but also that he wants us to be together in family. Enjoyed together, loved together, cherished and lifted up. Number three, equality. God loves us all equally, and therefore each of us is just as important as everybody else. No more, and no less. I spent some time last week kind of helping us understand that uh, the understanding that Mary was favored by the Lord, there are countless examples of God saying that to all of us throughout Scripture. And we gave an example last week of how God said to Moses you're favored, and I'm going to answer your prayer. I love you. And so on and on throughout uh, the the book, we see pictures of men and women who have done great things in obedience to God, in, in loving Him, and He says, you're favored. I love you. It's a message that is only unique to Christianity, that God loves us, and, and we, are, that we are equal in the sense that he, he, he values us. And he says to us, you are favored and I have a great plan for you and your life. Now here's the Christian Lactantius who was in his writing in 300 AD. Here's how he summed it up in terms of what happened as a result of love. God who produces and gives breath to men, willed that all should be equal. That is, equally matched. He has imposed the same condition of living on all. He has opened wisdom to all. He has promised immortality to all. No one is cut off from the heavenly benefits. In His sight, no one is a slave. No one is a master. For if all have the same Father, by an equal right, we are all children. No one is poor in the sight of God, but he who is without justice. No one is rich, but he who is full of virtues. For this reason, neither the Romans nor the Greeks, nor the Americans, I might throw in, (laughs) could possess justice. For they had men differing from one another by many degrees, The poor and the rich, the humble and the powerful, private persons and highest authorities of kings. God flipped the table when he introduced love and his love for all mankind. In Mary's reply to the gracious gift of love that that God brings into her life, she glorifies God. She opens by glorifying God. She used um, parallelism in, as, as a poetic device to restate her point. Mary begins with two synonymous parallels, uh, declaring God's greatness and finding delight in God. And then she used three contrasting parallels about God that I want to spend just a brief amount of time on in this passage. She says, uh, she opens by saying, God, you, you're scattering the proud but exalting the humble. One of the pictures of what happens in love is the scattering of pride and the exalting of the humble. It's, it really truly is amazing and when I get a chance and I had one recently to go um, with our uh, one of our teams going out to feed the people in, in Austin and, and underneath the bridge and all of these people and and uh, bringing food there and trying to care for those people. And, and a point of, uh, that Christian had established of, of the kind of mission of this is to restore dignity. Restore dignity. I <laughs> thought this, this is a beautiful picture of, of, of exactly what we're talking about today. The pride is, is, is all gone, right? And here comes uh, all of us who have to bring to those who do not and to lift up those who have been humbled in life in some fashion by something that's happened and taken place. Love humbles the proud and exalts the humble. It's amazing how it flips the table. Pride just can't live in the light of love. Pride was crushed at the birth of love. You might remember in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, this is what God said to the serpent. He said, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head. The very nature of the existence of Satan here as as, as, as the his stolen title of God of this world is because he, he sought to bring himself attention in heaven. He sought to, to with all the pride that was within him, to, to get what rightfully belonged to God. There was a battle in the heavens that, that lasted less time than it takes you to blink an eye. <laughs> and God threw him uh, out of heaven. It tells us in the Old Testament uh, that he was seen as lightning being cast out of heaven. It, it wasn't like this, this huge ongoing war that lay siege to the, to the throne of God. As soon as pride raised its ugly head, God banished it, and it was gone. And so he will on this planet. It might take just a moment to sidetrack from that, And, you know, I believe that as Christians, we have a responsibility to, you know, care for our planet and to, and to, to watch out for, uh, you know, to be conscious of, of taking care of what God has provided us. Be good stewards. But I would also be remiss if I didn't tell you that this world is going to die. That the, the Bible talks about God is going to undo everything that has the stench of sin on it and He's going to give us a brand new heaven, and a brand new earth. It's going to be unrecognizable in the end, and so when we see the dying planet and the things that are going on, it is because of sin, and it will not be circumvented by us rising up to try to turn the tables on it. There are finite resources here. There are things that are happening that are, uh, are about what has taken place in sin that are destructive and that are destroying. But in the midst of that, God's love is reaching out through His church every moment, every day, crushing the head of pride and presenting opportunity to all who will hear the gospel and the good news. She goes on to say, You're bringing the mighty low and lifting up the lowly. This is like from the prayer of Hannah in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 2. You may remember when we visited this earlier this year. The Lord sends, it reads, The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and He exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes uh, and and uh, and, uh, has them inherit a throne of honor. Restoration of of dignity and a throne of honor to those who, who are surrendered and submitted to the love of Jesus Christ, who have given themselves over to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in their life. There's, there comes this whole transformation of worldview. We start seeing wealth differently, don't we? Wealth is what God has provided, the peace that we have, the joy that we have, the values that we're living out, Everything that God is is wealth. In in uh, I was thinking, I think it's Galatians it says that when we're tempted by the enemy, that we should think on these things. Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things of good report, if there be any virtue, many praise God is measuring success differently than you and I are. He doesn't look at your bank account; he looks at your heart, right? when he's looking for success he's looking in your heart and she was understanding as a result of love that wealth comes from god differently than the rest of the world would celebrate wealth the rich man who was increased with goods and said to himself i should build bigger barns and the word of god came to him that day and said you fool this day your soul will be required of you. And who shall these things be? Christians understand we're leaving it all behind. There are no U-Hauls going to the funeral home, right? It's all going to stay. So the wealth is what's happened in here in our hearts and in our lives. Amen. And leaving, she says, and leaving the rich empty while filling the hungry. He brought down rulers. The, the passage goes on to say their thrones but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away empty, empty. The flipping of that worldview, when people look at Christians and they have, they have accomplished in their life uh, something in the sense of success as the world would measure it, climbing the corporate ladder, or they, they have uh, accom- uh, accumulated great wealth or, or, or great assets in their life, And yet there is this emptiness inside and when they see someone who has a loving relationship with God and is walking in that relationship, they long to have what you have. I have stood beside men of great wealth who have someone they love and care about that is slipping away. And I have heard them vocalize the words, I would give everything that I have accumulated in life for one more hour, one more day, one more week, one more month with this life I cherish. And We come to understand in our walk with God that this life is not all there is. That we are eternal. And there's life beyond this. And while I am joyfully enjoying what God has provided in this life, for me, especially recently with grandbabies, I love them. Man can't get enough spending time with them, right? I've got one more on the way coming pretty soon. Zach and Lauren, so excited. And yeah. We just learned not too terribly long ago about that. We're very excited uh, that we're going to be welcoming another, and uh, so Papa may be taking some trips, you know. <laughs> I don't know how far we can stretch Papa now, but we're going we're to make an effort to try to do it. We, we come to understand what wealth really is, don't we? And we come to understand, you know, that not only is, uh, or can we enjoy this life, but I'm excited about what God has prepared in the next I'm excited about what he ha- I'm not going to float around in a cloud and play a harp, right? <laughs> we see little pictures in scripture of God telling us, uh, and it's, is if he's going to make a brand new heaven and a brand new earth, you know, uh, there's going to be a lot of work for all of us. And I cannot even imagine the magnitude of what he's already done. And we can look out and see it as we look out on the, on the planet. And as we look beyond the planet to the universe, and uh, we see all the wonders of what God has accomplished. Can you imagine what he has in store? Job, it says, the sons of God applauded. And the angels sang as God created. Man, can you imagine standing from that position? Boom! They begin to, all the galaxies begin to appear as God begins to command them and order them and set them uh, in, in motion. It's just unbelievable. Yes, there was a big bang, but there was something behind the big bang. <laughs> A big God. (laughs) Amen. In the 18th century, these principles that we're talking about right here were secularized by intellectuals and were determined, they they were determined to keep them, you know, and remove the references of God. They thought we can have, you know, uh, sanctity of life without God how well are we doing at that? Has anybody noticed? Are we doing pretty good at that without God? I think we're doing pretty sorry at that without God, right? Because we, we don't know how to define life, right? And so they, they began to try to separate out or remove God, and, and, and it became problematic globally. The trouble is that once you take God out of the picture, you can no longer explain why that principle is true. So if there is sanctity of life, why? Why would somebody's life be the same value as mine? Why would somebody that I don't like be elevated to the point of me or above me in terms of their life? They became unjustifiable as a result of extricating God from it. But Mary's Magnificent expresses what Luke meant by God's justice tempered with love. She says, His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. We rejoice in the Christmas because of the, God's great love for us. Mary presents an inspiration and a challenge to us. She, in, in, this, in this song, she inspires us to be a people of joyful praise, whatever the circumstances that we're facing. You can't even imagine what uh, she has gone through. And she is, they are all captives of the Roman Empire. What she has gone through as a young woman and what she has ahead of her, a pregnancy without a husband. What her husband is facing, the ridicule behind his back of people saying something must have happened, she must have been with someone, disrespected him. He has the right to put her away, not to marry her. What things they might have whispered in his ears. What things might have been said. And yet she inspires us here to be joyful and to praise regardless of the circumstances. She challenges us to be a people who trust that God is just and faithful and good and kind and generous. And that he reveals it in his acts of love towards us. He is constantly showing us, if we want to see it, how much he loves us and cares about us. From the things that we take for granted, the very next breath that you breathe and and don't think about, to the, the wonders of all the things that he has provided for us to survive and to be able to function in our day and in our time the streams and the provisions that God has brought into our life, the relationships and the friends, the home church family that was spoken of by our host this morning. How I felt the same way looking around at all your faces and thinking, wow, wouldn't want to be anywhere else. What a wonder it is to be with God's family and to enjoy the relationship of God's family. Christmas is God's ultimate love gift to all mankind it is important for us to remember that word though all all say it with me all the only reason those who love and are surrendered to God are still on the planet right now is because not all have come to repentance the great promise of God about the second coming is as real today for us as it, as it has been in any other time period. The last days begin when Jesus uh, was born and entered the earth. That the last days begin. I believe we're in the last moments of the last days. We are seeing all of this, uh, the signs of this taking place all around us. But the question comes from scoffers and from really, in some instances, Christians that have come to doubt. Why has the Lord not returned? In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 4, Peter addresses this with the Christians. And he says, scoffers were asking, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since our ancestors died, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. The, the, the first thing that we need to understand is that's a lie. <laughs> Things have been changing extraordinarily all along the process. And God has has been moving in some incredible ways. We have seen them in our time period, but we can go way back in the Bible and we can see catastrophic changes have been taking place. Things have not always remained the same. From the flood of the time of Noah, when God restarted things over again, All the way through, there have been these periodic interjections of God trying to reveal himself to mankind and demonstrate how much he loves and cares for us. But the answer to the letter, um, to to that question, Peter provides in his letter uh, to the scoffers. And here's what he says. With the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise to come back, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, read this with me, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. The door of opportunity is open for now, because of God's great love his great mercy and his great grace. The door of opportunity is open to our world, which makes our mission as a church in these last moments that we are here on planet Earth so vital and so crucial and so essential. The attack that came when the, uh, the nation was being shut down because of the virus uh, was, was strategic from, from Satan in the sense of saying the church is not essential. There is nothing more essential. There's nothing at the top of the list right now higher than the mission of the church. We need to be boldly proclaiming the love of Jesus Christ for our planet in these last moments. Do not let anything hush you or keep you quiet from expressing, my soul magnifies the Lord. Amen? God's promises are certain. We don't know when he's coming, but we know he is returning. We have only this moment right now for decision to be made. I want to invite our worship team to come back. The the moment that is in front of us is the moment we have right now. To make things right with the Lord. To surrender our lives. To get the message out to people that we love and care about. You have friends, you have family members, you have loved ones that need to make a decision about who Jesus is. They need to surrender their lives to him and make him Lord and leader of their life. Mary rejoiced because in what God was doing, it was revealed to her that he knew her personally and he loved her. Out of all of the young ladies... In Israel God said I got a plan for you and it and when he singles us out and he does it throughout our life if we'll look for it and he says I know you I know your name I know who I created you to be I love you I deeply care about you and I have a plan for your life it is then upon us to respond I want to invite you to stand with me this morning This would be our altar this morning of surrender to the love of God and embracing what he has in store for us as we go forward. And that we would recalibrate in terms of, as a church, missionly saying, God, not only do I know you love me, but I know you love the world around me and you want to share the good news through me. Help me to share my story with everyone you place around my life. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for the joy of Christmas, for the love of Christmas, what it means, God, to embrace love. It changes our worldview. We see things differently. We're no longer seeing things from a self-centered, what's best for me or what's best for my friends and the people who think like me, but we're seeing what is best for, for you through our lives on the planet. And God, we, want, we seek to glorify you as, as Mary did. Our soul magnifies the Lord. We rejoice in you, and we thank you for all that you've accomplished. We invite you in these next few moments to touch us as we reach out to you and bring transformation to each one of us. Set us on mission again, afresh and anew, to share the good news wherever you have placed us without reservation and without hesitation we see the world differently we're all equal we're all created by God life is precious we thank you for that Lord Jesus in your name